Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Paddy, how are you this week? I am positively fantastic. Gary, the end is in sight. It is now, what is it, two weeks? Two weeks away? Three weeks, maybe? No, two weeks away from the world, in Ireland at least, which is the world to me, because that's where I live, before it opens up, you know? So this is, it's quite enjoyable. I can't wait to, you know, see my friends, see my family, see... Uh, you know, the restaurants and stuff that I frequent, albeit we're only allowed in them outside, which is, you know, whatever it is, but at least they don't have that, you know, minimum spend and all that kind of shit that they had beforehand. And, and most importantly, it is uh, the Irish Gym Pendants Day, you know, so the gyms are back open, which is phenomenal from multiple perspectives, mainly because I enjoy going to the gym, but secondarily because our business also requires, well, not requires as has been showing, shown from the last year and a bit. Um, but, you know, it's heavily dependent on having gyms open. So it hasn't been great um, having the gyms closed down, um, but they're open soon. So that is a fantastic, fantastic turn of events. How, Gary, how is life with you and how is your placement? Life is good. I'm currently on neurosurgery placement and have got the chance to see lots of very cool brain surgeries, um, which is great for me, at least not great for the patients, of course, but, um, well, no, it is great of, for the patients, you know, I'd rather, well, it's yeah. great that they're getting appropriate surgical management, of course. Um, but yeah, super interesting. Lots of time in the hospital, lots of cool, uh, procedures to be seen. So I can't complain. Fantastic. Anyway, Gary, what are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about energy expenditure. As you'll know, if you've been listening for the last few episodes, we've been discussing the basics of calories, um, energy in versus energy out, calories in versus calories out, the components of metabolism, metabolic adaptation, and a number of related topics. And this is something that we've mentioned in previous weeks. But one of the things we want to explore this week in particular is what role does increasing energy expenditure play in successful fat loss or fat loss maintenance? And we'll also touch a little bit on um, those who are looking to gain muscle, but is it just as simple as, you know, doing more exercise leads to burning more calories infinitely? Like, can I burn 30,000 calories a day if I move enough? Is that possible? Um, is that, that's one of the questions we want to explore. We also want to answer the question, is it the same if I burn 1500 calories and eat 1500 calories versus burning 3000 calories and eating 3000 calories? Because those two things are potentially achievable for someone at a given body weight. And, you know, are they just the same if it's just energy in versus energy out? So they're the questions that we'd like to answer in this podcast. Yeah, we'll, we'll kick it off by talking about what, what, and this is, I hate this term really. Um, we'll talk about what's called G flux. You know, well, it's called that in the, the fitness sphere. In most yeah. other spheres, it's generally energy flux in the energy research. Flux. It's basically just energy in and energy out. Now, G flux, I think it was popularized by John Berardi. And yeah. I'm not sure why it's called G flux. I think it, ha it stands for like gastric flux, which, you know, kind of makes sense. But at the same time, I'm like, I'd rather conceptualize it. Maybe this is just because you know, I like biochemistry and stuff. I would rather just conceptualize it as, energy flux you know so it is literally yeah. just energy in energy out that's what we're talking about here i thought maybe it was g because gibbs free energy but i don't know yeah, it could be it, <laughs> it as could well be, but i actually don't know i've never seen anyone say that yeah i, I haven't seen anyone talk about what what the g stands for but anyway look you, you, anyway. I, want, I just want to say 
you might read stuff and it might say G flux and you might read the other stuff and it might say energy flux, right? But basically we're talking about this concept of energy in, energy out, right? So I'm like, that's that's cool. We've already talked about that. We're not going to go over that stuff again. If you haven't, if you don't understand what that is, go back to the previous episodes of the podcast and listen, right? So most people, again, they're aware of energy in, energy out and how that, excuse me, equation dictates fat loss because we're obviously talking about fat loss in this fat loss series right but obviously we'll touch on other things as well in terms of like muscle gain later on uh, because it is appropriate to discuss that um but there's this concept and like you you know this if you've dieted yourself if you talk to people who have dieted there's this concept out there of oh i want to eat as few calories as possible i want to you know maximize fat loss right and this is purely from the perspective of only looking at that equation from a calories in point of view now that's not totally true because people often manipulate both sides but they just talk about it from the perspective of like oh i want to eat as few calories as possible so i have this huge deficit so i have to you know you know liberate that energy from my body fat so i can burn more fat so people end up in a situation where they eat very little And what can often happen then on top of that is they exercise a lot, right? Or at least they try to exercise a lot. They do maybe extra cardio. They do some like resistance training. And that's good from a perspective of like, we're very much for people training. Like we, that's, you know, our bias. We like people training, right? So I'm not going to say that's bad necessarily. Now, obviously, look, there is shades within that like some of them are doing it bad in terms of it's like they're increasing their risk of injury if i could speak and and other things but look that's a podcast for another time i can't even speak today podcast for another time right and but in this context we're in a situation where that's one way of going about things the way we go about things is we want to eat as much as possible while getting the results that we want right so in this context, if you're saying I want to lose a kilo per week, I have five kilos to, to lose, we're not going, okay, look, let's bang you into a, a thousand, a thousand five hundred calorie deficit per week, which we know is going to lead to you binging on the weekend. Um, and let's see if we can exercise loads more. Like that's not what we're going to do. Our initial uh, way we'll approach this is like, okay, let's get the exercise sorted, let's get your general habits sorted, and then let's use a mild deficit to you know, slowly encourage that, right? But there is another thought process if you take our kind of logical or what we would like to consider logical thought process of let's eat as much as possible while still getting results, right? That's our kind of thought process. If you take that to its logical conclusion, you might start thinking, well, if I want to eat as much as possible while still getting results, surely I can just exercise more right? So I can just exercise more and then I can eat more and still be in a deficit, right? And like, again, logically that makes sense. So you have people going up and they're doing like an hour of cardio in the morning, then they do 10,000 steps throughout the day. And then they also do like their, their resistance training at night. And maybe they also finish that off with some cardio and they're doing that like, you know, five, six, sometimes even seven days per week. Right. Cause they're like, I need to, you know, burn through a huge amount of calories in the day so that I can eat more. Right. And again, logically that's where you could potentially take this stuff. If you're using our paradigm rather than the paradigm of like, I need to eat as little as possible. Right. And so we have this kind of spectrum here where it's like eat as little as possible or eat as much as possible while also exercising as much as possible. Right. And there are issues with with all of them. There's no perfect, like no intervention is without its faults, you know, and 
But just speak to that there, Gary, now in terms of, again, this is generally what is talked about when they talk about what John Berardi talked about when he talked about G-Flux. And they talk about this concept of like, oh, we need to exercise more while also eating more, but still being in a deficit, right? Talk to me about that. No problem. I think there's a number of really important things here. One is differentiating between um, maintenance itself, the process of weight loss, and then weight loss maintenance after weight loss, because there are actually three distinct states, physiologically and psychologically, and anyone who has gone through any one of them will understand that. And when it comes to increasing energy expenditure up to higher levels, like let's say my maintenance, if I was sedentary, was 2,500 calories. If I start exercising more and get that up to 3,200 calories, it's a significant increase, but I wouldn't expect that to be um, detrimental in any way from like from the perspective of it's not that much activity that I'm not going to be able to recover from that or something. But as I get up to five, six, seven thousand calories of expenditure, like that starts to seem a little bit absurd. And, and just on this, if you ever start, if you ever want to know what that looks like, like there people do this, these type of challenges on YouTube where they're like, I'll yeah. oh, see if I can burn 10,000 calories in a day. You know, like they'll literally be like, you know, the 10,000 calorie challenge of eating, they'll be like, let's do it in reverse and let's try to burn 10,000 calories. And you'll see how like absurd and hard it is to burn that many calories but people do it absolutely and you'll you'll kind of see these um i guess it's become a bit of a meme where people just say oh it's all just calorie deficit calorie deficit is all you need to lose weight and and it's like yeah yeah that is that is true in one sense but does that necessarily mean that me in being in a low energy flux state at 1500 calories versus a high energy flux state at 3000 calories, that that is exactly the same thing. And I would argue that it's not. And that's what many people would argue because I suppose one of the things to, to note here is that there's, and I, I put this at the start because it's often forgotten is that there's a psychosocial aspect to this that is really important, particularly for those at lower body weights. So for example, if I'm, um, as I am, about 82 kilos, 82 kilo male, pretty active, my jacked maintenance, <laughs> jacked out of my mind, my maintenance at the moment, or, or the calories I'm actually eating at the moment to try and gain slowly, somewhere between 3,800 and 4,000 or so, okay? That would allow me, if I wanted, to go out for breakfast, to go out for lunch, to go out for dinner, and even to have a glass of wine in the evening if I wanted. Okay, so I'm saying that even, even if I had the most extravagant lifestyle, I could actually fit that into my calorie targets because of how high they are. So that makes that gives me so many options socially that I'm not going to be dealing with any of the psychological side effects of having to isolate myself or say no to um, having dinner with my girlfriend or her family or all these types of things that are that are the psychological side effects of dieting and the social side effects of dieting. Whereas if I was a, let's say, 50 kilo female who you know works in an office job and goes to the gym in the evening, but it's 45 minutes of strength training, you know, it doesn't burn that many calories. I might actually need to be eating like 1400 calories or less to be losing fat at a considerable rate. Like, let's just say it's maintenance at 1600 and we want to go into a deficit um, and we get to 1200 calories. Okay. Think about what it's like then for someone who wants to live a normal social life and consume 1200 calories. Like you need to have a very small breakfast and probably skip lunch to be able to have 
a dinner that anyone would consider substantial if they were eating out. The vast majority of meals that people have when they eat out are anywhere between 1,000 and 2,500, if not 3,000 calories, okay? Especially as you begin to add up different courses. And you're absolutely not getting a glass of wine or anything on top of that, okay? So that's very difficult psychologically and socially because it means you now have to hold yourself back from partaking in normal social events that might be part of your life. So if that person was able to increase their energy flux, towards let's say 2200 now that actually might be manageable okay so that's the first thing is that there's those psychosocial aspects on that as well right like i do all the expiration calls or the consultation calls for people that want to work with us and we work on a lot of that like previous athletes we'll call them or people who used to be athletes and this is something that is often just never talked about but athletes fall into these really poor habits because they have such a high energy flux right so they're able to eat four or five thousand calories like i remember back when i was you know working in a gym also doing like two training sessions per day in terms of like you know resistance training and then also you know doing like brazilian jiu-jitsu or mma or whatever and i would be maintaining my weight i'd also cycle to and from my work right i'd be maintaining my weight on five thousand calories you know just maintaining it right so these athletes they end up in this position where they don't build good habits they don't build good nutrition habits because they're able to get away with 5000 calories or like oh i ate 4000 calories today so anyone in the in the world would be like that's fucking loads of food and they'd be like yeah i was losing at like a kilo per week you know i was losing weight that fast as a result you know so I talk to so many people when we're doing the nutrition consults for them and they're in the same position and you see the, the effects of this and there's, it, it works both ways in terms of like Gary's saying on a fat loss phase where like you have a smaller individual that's, you know, maybe more sedentary and they're only burning through like a thousand calories maybe per day versus you have someone on the higher end where they're burning through 5,000 calories and um, there's a whole psychological, well, again, we can call it psychosocial, but there's a whole, like, we'll just call it practical element of this where like you can get away with so much more on 5,000 calories versus that you can get away with on even 2000 calories. And that's one of the, the big things that you need to really think about when you are engaging in a fat loss phase, uh, especially if your life is a bit more variable where it's like, okay, look, maybe you are in a position where you used to be able to eat 5,000 calories or used to be able to eat 3,000 or whatever, but that's not your situation right now. Like I know for myself, for example, like I used to be far more active. Now I literally sit in my room. I literally work like 70, 80 hours per week, just sitting away at a computer, you know? And I'm like, oh, like, even though I do like resistance training and I go for walks, like I'm still not burning through all that extra energy like i have a car you know it's like there, like there's stuff that you did when you were younger like when you were a teenager like you walked everywhere you know like you don't do that anymore right and that leads to a situation where people think of it like this middle-aged spread or like oh i gained weight in my 20s or my 30s and it's like yeah because you're not as active anyway like that's a that's a bit of a side tangent yeah and um where was i what i was saying um yeah so calories increase psychosocial yeah so then there's obviously the physiological aspects to that so i suppose one thing to note is that fat loss aside obviously getting more exercise to bump up your energy expenditure is almost always a good thing up to a certain point of course but if you're able to you know get up to let's say an extra thousand calories a day of energy expenditure from exercise like that's that's some pretty decent energy expenditure obviously a lot less would be equivalent if you were at a smaller body weight 
but if you're if you're exercising once per day um or even twice per day you're getting 60 to 90 minutes of exercise in per day and you're walking throughout the day like, like that's very much helpful practice where things become a little bit um messier are at very high levels of energy expenditure where you begin to see more and more compensations uh for the increases in exercise uh, energy expenditure so if you're if you if you there's actually been some some studies done on this and it, and it's it's something that will kind of evolved throughout this conversation on the idea of uh, constrained versus fixed uh, or linear energy expenditure. So the idea here is that if you have a, if you have a, just an additive model of energy expenditure, what that would imply is what most people think of when they think of energy expenditure, which would be, if I exercise more, I'm going to keep burning more calories. Okay. And this idea um, manifests in the way that kind of, People romanticize hunter-gatherer populations, um, assuming that like they have much higher energy expenditures, and the reason that obesity is rampant in developed countries is purely secondary to sedentary lifestyles. Whereas what you tend to see is that energy expenditure between populations doesn't actually vary that much, even with differences in physical activity. Okay, which is interesting to consider because, like intuitively, you'd assume that hunter-gatherer populations probably burn a lot more calories but that's also because people kind of assume that they're just running 20 hours a day you know it's it's just like a, a meme but um there's a number of compensations that occur as activity begins to increase so as you begin to exercise more let's say i'm running two three hours per day i'll start to feel a little bit more fatigued after those runs okay i might before you go into that right you remember back from the previous podcasts we have that like basal metabolic rate so we have yeah. that kind of like this is your physiological functions we'll call it your resting metabolic rate so these are all the, the calories you burn just doing nothing right so most people would think of that as being completely fixed but it's not quite right now go on gary sorry for interrupting you yeah so you know, rather than giving you my made up example, I'll give you a real example from some research that was done. This is obviously a very extreme example, but there's a, a basically a transcontinental race in the USA where you, you run 42K, I think it is, for six out of seven days for 20 weeks. Okay. And on week one uh, of the 20 weeks, what they did was they assessed uh, energy expenditure in uh, those individuals, uh, in some of the runners. And keep in mind now the mileage is relatively similar throughout that period of time. And their initial energy expenditure was something like 6,800 calories per day. Okay. Super high. Okay. But as that went on, what ended up happening was their energy expenditure gradually began to decline. Um, and at the end, it was about 4,800 calories or 4,900 calories. So it's a very significant drop in energy expenditure, given that they're still continuing to run those marathons. Now, of course, there was um, there's generally uh, body weight loss associated with those um, uh, long endurance races, but there, it doesn't account for the full difference, um, not at all. Okay, and there might be changes in running, running um, energy efficiency, and, and changes in activity beyond the the run, etc. But overall, what we're seeing is that there's a, going to be a decline in energy expenditure from non-exercise activities, 
And this is very obvious when you consider some of the side effects people talk about when it comes to overtraining. So for example, people will report um, a loss of their menstrual cycle. So you've got a decline in ovarian function, decrease in estrogen production, decreased fertility. If you think about those things, like why would they happen? You think evolutionarily, if you're, you know, expending a lot of energy, that's generally associated with the food scarcity. Okay. So what you need to do is you need to be able to pull back energy resources from somewhere else, which at that point would be reproductive function, um, while you pursue your food. And then when we're in a state again of, um, you know, being a, a higher energy status, we're able to uh, divert, our, divert our resources towards that reproductive function again. So overall there, what you're seeing is that as energy expenditure uh, increases up to a certain point, it will be linear. Um, and that's generally at low to moderate physical activity levels. Most of us are probably in that level of like moderate energy expenditure. The specific level is going to vary between individuals. But as you really begin to push things up, uh, you're going to get more compensation where there's going to be a decline in some of those resting metabolic rate functions, but also things that aren't necessarily measurable. And what I mean, well, they're not, me they're not measurable in the way that we generally measure muscular activity, because what tends to happen in these um, studies and it's been, it's been kind of referred to as uh, in, in some of the research on the constrained energy model as exercise uh, energy expenditure one versus two, one being the stuff that we can measure with an accelerometer. So for example, like if I'm walking an accelerometer that I'm wearing like a Fitbit or something that can, you know, detect those steps, but what it's not going to detect is changes in my posture as I'm sitting, for example, changes in resting muscle tone, changes in uh, maybe how much I'm fidgeting and stuff like that. So all those types of things actually begin to or seem to downregulate considerably as a compensation for that increase in activity. So the overall message there, guys, is that we can absolutely begin to increase energy expenditure um, and we can absolutely, you know, tr try to keep pushing that up. But there will come a point where it begins to become constrained. And the problem with that is not just the fact that we're no longer burning extra calories, but also because like if you're doing that purely for the purposes of energy expenditure, then you run into some of the other issues, uh, such as maybe uh, poor reproductive, reproductive health, uh, lower energy levels uh, in life outside your training, etc. So they're all things that you would want to consider. So increasing energy expenditure indefinitely is not something you can do. And the, the other thing there as well is that at very extreme levels of energy expenditure there are also um some limits as to what can be sustained in indefinitely and it's generally around 2.5 times basal metabolic rate is basically the peak level that could be sustained indefinitely so even if you had someone that was fit enough to expend more energy than that um consistently over time um it, it that seems to be the uh, limit. And that's based on a paper that came out last year, the year before um, on, and it, it was, it was in a lot of popular magazines um, and science publications about the alimentary limits, limits to human performance, alimentary basically. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that because there's other, some other numbers that I want to touch on. Yeah, sure. Go on. Yeah. Right. But the main thing you should take away from the, the constrained energy model thought process is that exercise up to a point is linearly additive. Right. So it is up to a point in terms of your basal metabolic rate stays the same. If you add in more exercise, you'll just basically be adding in more energy expenditure and you will still lose weight because this is really important to understand. There is 
linear addition up to a point and then it does it seems to kind of level off right and like you can look up graphs on this uh, online it's it's pretty you know intuitive once you see the graph but what people don't realize is that that basal metabolic rate that's stu the stuff that makes up that basal metabolic I can't even speak metabolic rate that can be influenced and we've talked about this before in terms of you start getting other stuff like you know down regulations in meat so you try to ex out exercise you know uh your your diet basically right you're like oh i'll just do more exercise what often happens then in those cases like we've talked about previously is you do your resistance training session you do your cardio session but oftentimes you know your niche will go down so you'll do less steps or maybe you're tracking your steps because you're like look i want to get on top of this i want to stay on top of you know the the non-energy uh, non-exercise activity thermogenesis i want to stay on top of it i want to make sure i'm tracking everything like you can't track a lot of stuff like i said posture earlier on like you can't track how many times you're blinking you can't track all those different things you can't track like how fast your brain is working you know it's like you can't track all that stuff all the stuff that makes up like the the metabolic processes that go on right and you have to factor in that a lot of these metabolic processes are reactionary to the environment you know like reproduction reproduction is the easiest one to understand because it's so influenced by what you're actually doing in terms of the energy in the energy out and if you ever look up any of the like what's traditionally called red s you know like you know uh females losing their their metabolic metabolic their menstrual cycle um in terms of like there's a lot of like athletes and stuff lose it because they're just exercising so much and they're not eating enough right but one of the things to dealing with that is and it's unfortunate we have to take into account this constrained energy model because there is a point where, yeah, you can add more calories. However, that doesn't necessarily fix the issue. If you have an individual who's training 20, 30, 40 hours per week, you know, like you might not be able, you might be able to add enough calories so that they're in like weight maintenance, but you're not able to get that, uh, constrained energy model into a place where you want it to like you're basically not shifting that graph back to where it's still linearly additive in terms of the, the calorie expenditure like yeah exercise you know so you're still always dipping into that basal metabolic rate or those basal metabolic processes one of the most influential be influenceable being you know uh hormones in terms of like you know sex steroids hormones um like so those ones you basically have to, if you are dealing with like red S, you have to take it from two prongs. You have to be like, right, we have to increase calories here because we need to have more free available energy, but we probably need to reduce energy expenditure as well because we've dipped into this territory of this constrained energy model and we've started eating into this like basal metabolic rate. And this is really important to understand because oftentimes people look at this model and they still go in with the paradigm that, oh, I can just eat more. You know, I can just, I can just solve this whole thing by eating more, like assuming you want weight maintenance. Uh, and again, this is why we, we started with that kind of G flux theory where people were like, oh, I'll just exercise more and I'll also eat more. It's like, yeah, that's a good strategy up to a point. But then we get to a point where you are basically, you could eat more and you might even gain weight, but we're still eating into that kind of basal metabolic, uh, uh, you know, BMR, you know? So it's like you you have to take the totality of the, the human into account. And there are some numbers thrown out there in terms of how much you can, you know, where, where's the definable point where you start eating into that. And that's why I said, like, we'll come back to, to numbers in a second, um, which we will in, in a second as well. But I want to also touch on some things which make it hard. And Gary touched on one of them earlier on, make it really hard to understand the exact relationship. Because I know people listening to this podcast, they want to know, okay, where's the exact point, right? And we'll give you some numbers in a second. But then they also want to go, 
oh, well, it obviously depends on what exact activity you're doing. Like if you're doing cardio, if you're doing you know, resistance training, if you're doing sports, if you're doing whatever, right? And this is one of the things that it is touched on a little bit in the research, but it's also so wishy-washy, hard to define. And that is like an increase in exercise efficiency, right? Because what often happens, like Gary said, with that race, like people get more efficient as they are doing the activity right? So you naturally, if you're more efficient at doing something, you're not going to be like, you know, spazzing out, you're not going to be losing all this excess energy to the environment, because all your movements are really efficient. You're like a a machine, you know, running or doing your sports or doing your resistance training or whatever it is. And as a result, you don't get all of this, you know, loss of energy overall. And that is something to take into account, because it, it kind of encourages bad training processes where if you really wanted to lose as much weight as possible and you really wanted to expend as much energy as possible you would just do different things all the time you know because you're just like oh i'm really inefficient at these things so i'm just wasting a load of energy and anyone who knows anything about training would know that that's not an effective way to train that's not an effective way to get the neural adaptations the muscular adaptations and the other adaptations that we want so we have to get out of the paradigm of thinking like oh, well, I just want to burn through more calories or, oh, I just want to eat more. And that means I have to burn more. And it's like, you have to look at a way bigger picture than just the, the, the energy side of, of all of this stuff. You know, does that make sense, Gary? Absolutely, sir. Fantastic, right? And then also one of the things that I often think gets lost in this discussion is the recovery aspect of this, right? Because obviously, look, not everyone's going to be able to recover from 20 hours, 40 hours of exercise per week. You know, like it's just, it's just not going to happen for a lot of people. They just don't have that recovery capacity. Either that's a genetic thing, either that's just a, a, a training history thing. It's like, yeah, you'd be able to get up to that level in like, you know, two, three, four, five years of training, but most people are just not at that point, you know? So again, there comes a point from a recovery standpoint where you're not going to be able to do more training. So you really need to get out of this, mindset of like oh i can just burn through more calories and i can kind of compensate with you know food then outside of that because you hit a recovery wall and this also is one of those things where we're basically eating into that bm more we're eating into the capacity for your body to actually maintain sustain itself and then also build in the future and what often happens uh, a lot of the time is you know people will basically try to over exercise and they just won't be getting any adaptations from those ex- from that exercise right they're basically in that kind of like you know stress adaptation curve they're just always in that stress phase they're never getting like adaptations to that you know so it's like oh yeah i'm exactly as strong as i was 20 weeks ago despite doing these exercises despite doing these resistance training exercises despite doing everything quote unquote right and it's because yeah look you're doing too much and that's why you're not progressing and that's something that you really need to understand especially if you're a newer trainee where you can kind of think like oh i should just do more you know i should just do more because that'll like shorten the the process in terms of getting the strength numbers that you want or the results that you want and that's just not the case you know like yeah it works for the first like four weeks but realistically anything works for the first first four weeks but then after that it's like no this is not an effective you know training process and this is not an effective like way to design your overall program and then the final thing i just wanted to say is well there's there's two other things the first thing is that most people make out that this number is you know really achievable for every average everyday person and they make it out as if like 
exercise is just not effective. You know, it's like, oh, exercise is not linearly additive in terms of calorie expenditure. And therefore we should just not exercise, which like in my mind, I'm like, that's, well, first of all, it's ignorant. You know, it's just ignorant of the actual science. It's ignorant of what we're actually talking about here. And quite frankly, it is dangerous. You know, it's like that if you're basically making out that exercise is just not valuable, like that goes completely against, we'll call it like a, a haze type approach where you're talking about health at every size. Like we want to just engage in healthful behaviors. And if you're telling people that exercise is just not effective um, at all, you know, it's like you just don't need to exercise. It's not effective from a fat loss perspective. It's not effective from like cardio perspective. It's not effective from whatever. It's like, that's just ignorant and dangerous you know we want everyone exercising as much as is possible for them given their life circumstances etc and that brings me to the final point which is look you can talk all day about exercise being linearly uh, additive or however fucking whatever way you want to go for it not being any uh, like uh, or being a constrained energy model whatever most people have jobs right so you're not going to be able to exercise 20 hours per week you know, so you basically want to get to a stage where you do enough exercise so that, you know, you can actually burn through a significant amount of calories day to day where you're not dipping into this over expenditure where you know, you're not getting a return on investment that you want. But also you don't want to be in the low example like I gave earlier on, like you don't want to be an individual that basically you're sedentary for most of the day and like you go to the gym and you burn maybe 200 calories. Like it's very hard from a we'll call it again, a psychosocial uh, aspect type of thing, but it's also very hard from uh, just wanting to eat normal human food rather than leaves and chicken. You know, it's like, this is, it's just hard if you're going to burn through very little energy. So we basically don't want to go on either side of those that, or that spectrum. And we want to burn through a good amount of energy through, throughout the day. And then also we want to eat to support that. You know, does that all make sense, Gary? Absolutely. And May I continue? You can continue, of course. <laughs> so, like, I, I think the, the key message really, like, just to hammer home before we discuss further, is that exercising more is almost always a good idea uh, within reason. Um, and it does, it, there is evidence supporting its role, um, like increasing energy flux in weight loss maintenance in particular. Okay, so that's one of the areas where the evidence, I think, is quite strong that you would want to be exercising quite a bit for successful weight loss maintenance. And very often it's not weight loss. That's actually the barrier. It's weight loss maintenance. That's really challenging for people. Um, so regardless of whether or not exercise contributes significantly to weight loss itself, weight loss maintenance, it absolutely does. Okay. And there's, there's quite a bit of evidence to support that. And I mean, it does make sense as well because like, as, as discussed previously, when you do a diet down and you lose weight, generally you're you're going to be in a suppressed metabolic state okay but there's these there's been those metabolic adaptations that have taken place on the way down you've got decreases in leptin increases in, is increases in ghrelin basically everything that's contributing to increased appetite and reduced energy expenditure is working against you maintaining that weight loss so if you can increase um, exercise that is a number of really positive effects in mitigating uh, those adaptations so it would be very wise to keep your exercise up if you're trying to um, improve weight loss maintenance. And further to that um, is, is that, that limit, I guess you could say. And I, I do think it's interesting to kind of ponder this because like basically what you see, and this is a very strong relationship, is that there's an inverse relationship between the amount of energy you can expend 
and the duration of the activity. And that obviously makes sense. It's the very same as how fast we can go and how long the activity is. So effectively, if someone is doing a, uh, an ultra marathon within a given day, okay, they can increase their energy expenditure massively six, eight, nine, maybe even 10 times basal metabolic rate. Okay. So it can be huge, but though that isn't going to be sustained, uh, indefinitely. And the way you can understand this is that there's a difference between the energy we provide through feeding and the energy that's available within the system that we've already stored. So we've got body fat, we've got muscle glycogen stored, so they're always available. But it seems like over time, we come down from that really high level of energy expenditure that we can achieve down to around two and a half times basal metabolic rates. So let's say if I my BMR is 2000 calories, let's say um, I'd be up around 5000 calories as what I could sustain indefinitely. And it seems like the limit to that is actually more so to do with our capacity to digest and assimilate, that it's actually we can't process that much um, food on a consistent basis indefinitely. Whereas if I was to um, do that in a short-term basis, I could just get it from my energy stores along the way. But obviously, if you're doing a 100 or 200 or 300-day race, you can't do that because you'd lose all your weight, obviously. So um, that seems to be around that limit. And I think that's really interesting to consider because it's like, all right, I can't just keep going and, and you know, get up to six, seven, eight thousand calories of energy expenditure and sustain that forever. It just doesn't seem... Um, like that's feasible. And um, what was I going to say there? Um, oh, I can't remember what I was going to say. Um, oh, yes, that uh, I was thinking about this as well. Um, as I was reading on this topic, like it does seem like there's some examples in the research where levels uh, above that have been sustained for uh, quite long periods of time uh, that, that would be discordant with this relationship. Like if you look at the research on this topic, the graph in terms of going from activities that last one day to 90 days and beyond is like remarkably consistent. Um, but there are some exceptions in like Tour de France cyclists. And it has been, you know, hypothesized that it, that could potentially because there be because they're actually using, um, for example, intravenous glucose as a, a source of, of refueling, which is kind of fascinating when you think about it, like from if you're interested in high performance that, well, if, uh, if the, the gut is potentially the limiting factor uh, to human endurance, why don't we just get all athletes on like intravenous nutrition sources at every stop and a race or something? So I imagine that could be an avenue for um, future developments in sports performance, but not relevant to your, your weight loss efforts anyway. Um, so do you want to jump in there? Just on that as well, like, and I'm going to come back to this in a second, but you cannot discount the effect of drugs on all this stuff as well. Oh, yeah, all for sure. Tour de France athletes are on drugs. So you might be going, oh, well, I'm definitely the outlier unless you're on the same drugs and unless you're doing the same training, it's probably not the, the same. In Absolutely. You know? So like there are some drugs that affect all of this stuff and I'm going to just touch on them in a second. And, um, but you've, do you have anything else to say there, Gary? Um, that like, just, just reiterating your point just briefly, like, yeah, obviously the, the drug point is really important because like, that is a very strong reason you could see the discordance there because even like just going back to what I said, all those adaptations that could potentially be compensating for increases in energy expenditure through exercise, like for example, decreases in reproductive function. How does that manifest in a male? Decreased testosterone. What's a Tour de France cyclist likely to be taking? Testosterone. So, you know, there, there's other factors at play. 
Yeah, hundred percent. And this is where, like I said, like we can come up with some numbers uh, for a, an average person. And I really, really like that you said, and it does seem to be the case in the literature that it is more of a, a digestion and assimilation thing that becomes the limiting factor, right? Because as we were talking about earlier on, it's like this stuff is important from a weight loss perspective, right? But it is actually probably more, excuse me, more important from a uh, weight gain perspective in terms of like say you are an individual trying to gain muscle right and you're like oh i'm going to go to the gym six days per week i'm going to do i like a bit of cardio as well i have a relatively high energy expenditure with work blah 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 like there is a point with energy intake where yeah you can be eating more food but your body actually can't digest that food enough or at a, 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 a high enough rate to actually uh, digest it, then assimilate it, and then turn it into the energy that you want, right? And this is obviously from the perspective of you know trying to gain weight, but it is also the case that we're using the same model where we're saying, oh well, let's you know exercise more and still be in a deficit. It's like yeah, well, you can only get up to a certain amount of food in your gut, only a certain amount of food that you're able to digest and actually see that transform into energy, right? And conversely to that, in the opposite uh, way, like there is only a certain amount of energy per day at whatever time limit you want per hour whatever that your body can liberate energy from stores you know and like say you have like fat stores it's like the the metabolic machinery that's required to you know break those fat that stored fat down get it into the bloodstream get it into maybe it needs to be in the form of carbohydrates at the moment for whatever activity that you're doing maybe it's higher intensity whatever like there might be need, need to be some transformation that needs to go on there like the machinery that's doing that it is still it's just enzymes right you can get to a point where this is it's technically untrue but you can get to a point where all of those enzymes are used right so you can still require more energy but all those enzymes are at their max capacity right now obviously look the human body most biological organisms are adaptive so you would just start upregulating certain enzymes and whatever else but there are limits to this stuff like you just can't keep going and getting like higher and higher levels of certain enzymes it's like it just it just doesn't happen right so that is something to really pay attention to because it is that digestive component. And like Gary said, like you could technically argue that, oh, well, maybe we'll just get them onto like intravenous nutrition or, you know, somehow bypass, because like, they do this in hospitals. If someone has like, I don't know, a gut issue or like whatever, there's, there's a reason for it. They're like, oh, yeah, well, we'll just get them on like a, a drip basically of food, right? And that can get around all these issues. But then it becomes an issue of like, would that be classified as doping in the, the sport? And like for most of it, it would be because that is something that most athletes wouldn't have access to in developing countries. And that's one of the main reasons they supposedly ban drugs because it's supposed to be fair of like, you know, your man in fucking Cameroon versus your man in like the United States. It's like they're supposed to have an equal footing in terms of their availability of like, you know, supplements and whatever else, which obviously isn't the case, but that's what they that's one of the reasons they want to keep sport fair right so that's why they, they ban those drugs um supposedly anyway that's what they say um <laughs> but you can get drugs all over the world that's all i'm saying um they're yeah. easily ordered online um but anyway, look, that's just... beside the point and um, this is really important to understand because there, there are probably numbers right now that we can just give out in terms of like where is this limit for people where do we start seeing that dip into this again this constrained energy model where it starts eating into uh some sort of basal metabolic rate like we start seeing some impact on maybe it's a i don't know 
bone accrual maybe it's uh, hormonal function maybe it's whatever and based on the numbers that i've seen this number it's, it's actually a little bit lower than at 2.5 right because again like yeah, who's who's doing like the, the 2.5 yeah. yeah like who's doing the 2.5 look it's athletes right so yeah. there's probably some influence on drugs there right and also like most people are not the genetic uh, elite right they're not getting to this peak so for most people it's kind of at that range of 1.8 to 2.2 times basal metabolic rate right so that's the amount of energy that you can turn into food right so that, that's the way you need to think of it so if you get up to like 1.8 to 2.2 times your basal metabolic rate that's kind of you tapped out with your ability to eat that food and then see that food transform into uh like actual energy in your body like we've talked about before get it into the actual atp in your body, right? Because ATP is the, the currency of the cell. So that is something that you really need to be aware of. And again, as I said, that's probably more important for people when they're trying to gain weight, right? Because if you're trying to push up calories and you're like, oh, I'll just get up to like 2.5 times my BM more. It's like, yeah, like you, you can do that, but it's probably not effective, right? Unless you're on drugs. And you'll probably see this reflected in some e easy to understand markers in terms of like your insulin sensitivity. Like you can get that stuff, you know, tested but it's probably an easier one to 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 measure is just like your fasting blood glucose right and like this it doesn't even give you the full picture because the the food is not even getting into your blood right so it's like this it gives you a window right in terms of your ability to handle these nutrients but it's not telling you everything right and there's a few components to this we could also get like you know blood uh, blood lipids you could measure them right and the reason we can measure those like blood glucose and blood lipids is because basically if you have a situation where there's just food always in your you know we'll call it your vascular system it's just always in your blood right like that's not where food is supposed to be that's not where the the lipids the triglycerides whatever are supposed to be that's not where glucose is supposed to be it's supposed to be in the cells where we want it right now that's not the entirety of the story but if we're talking about it from the perspective of like oh we want to build muscle or we want to you know whatever it is right we want to have that actually in the cells not just in the blood right so that's something to be aware of right um so basically digestion can't keep up with the demands right assimilation can't keep up right and then energy metabolism can't keep up right so there's those three components you either see like digestion you can't actually physically digest the nutrients because remember that is an enzymatic process like you need to secrete digestive enzymes etc into the, the intestines you need to assimilate it but let's assume that digestion gets to its point there's also uh, uh, an actual like assimilation part of the story where it's like actually getting into the body and then the final part is like we actually need to use this in like energy metabolism so how is the mitochondria functioning how is like all of that stuff going on right so there are breaking points with all of this stuff and again that seems to be around that range of 1.8 to 2.2 2.2 can't even speak uh bm more somewhere in there right do you have anything to say on that gary yeah just to to briefly mention as well because i was talking about the kind of elementary limits like to to energy expenditure it is worth noting as or putting that in context as well because like like obviously there's there's difference between individuals in terms of their gut function of course but another thing to really consider here is that if we're dealing with someone who's getting let's say upwards of uh, if they're getting around that 2.5 times bmr limit let's say that probably means they're an endurance athlete so let's say they're doing um let's say it's it's you patty right you're let's just call you 100 kilos for now six foot five bmr 2200 to 2500 some, something like that um let's call it 2500 
two and a half for you. Like that's what's that six two fifty or something. Um, six thousand two hundred and fifty calories a day, and if you're if you're getting up to that level of expenditure, that probably means you're I don't know running four hours a day or something. Let's say let's say you're doing a four hour run per day. Like that's a good bit of activity. And you're also, uh, after that, you're still going to be feeling, you know, super tired or whatever. Um, so let's say you're doing four hours of exercise per day. And because you're a serious athlete, you're trying to get 10 hours of sleep per night because you're trying to recover from that. Because this is the context we're in. We're talking about endurance athletes. So we've got four plus 10. Now we've got 10 hours um, of an eating window. So you're, you're asking your, your, your body to consume those calories in that 10-hour period while also appreciating that gut dysfunction um, or the or discomfort is a can be a limiting factor during exercise. Okay, so if someone's doing a four-hour run, generally they're not going to be eating a big meal right before that. Okay, because what we tend to see is that when you're exercising, the blood flow is diverted away from um, the central circulation around your organs, so digestion is compromised during that time. So you're basically left in a situation where. You can't be taking on that much fuel during those activities. Your digestion is going to be compromised and you've only got a small period during the day to consume all of that energy, which is clearly a very big ask. And as you go beyond that, then it's very clear why that limit would exist. Because like, if you do get up to five times BMR, that's 10,000 calories, but now you're squeezing it into a shorter and shorter window because now you're exercising eight hours per day or 10 hours per day. So this is why that that there is that limit eventually because there does come a point eventually where like it's 10 times BMR, let's say now you're burning 20,000 calories, but you're also exercising 100% of the time. <laughs> um, and your, your digestive system just can't keep up with that when uh, energy or blood flow needs to be diverted to the peripheral skeletal muscles. So um, hopefully that makes a bit of sense as to, as to why that limit might exist. A hundred percent. And again, it's, it's, it's so important to understand because I, I know when people say it's what they're lo looking at this now, they're going, Oh, well, I follow this bodybuilder or I follow this individual. And like, they're able to do this and they say they eat this. Well, first of all, most people are liars. That's just the, the plain and simple of it. Right. And um, especially if they're selling the service, they're going to tell you like, Oh, well I eat 20 million fucking calories per day. And you know, I'm able to get these fantastic results. And like, I get all my clients to be able to do this. You know, it's like, okay, you're just, you're willfully lying to people purely because you want their money. I'm like, okay, cool. As long as we're all clear on that, that's the case. But also, and especially in the case of bodybuilders, they're on drugs, right? Well, I should say athletes in, gen in general, right? They're on drugs. There's no two ways about it. Like your favorite athlete, they're on drugs. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to have to destroy your, you know, childhood or whatever. They're all on drugs. Every single one of them. When I've talked to any athletes and I've talked to, you know, world-class athletes, they're all on drugs, all of them. You know, they'll tell you they're on drugs, right? And well, they might not tell you depending if they like you or not, right? Um, but they're all on drugs. And this is really important to understand because obviously that changes the equation. Like Gary said earlier on, like if we're talking about a fat loss context and you don't have to worry about reproductive function because you've basically already shut that down because you're on testosterone. And as a result, you've already supplemented that away. No factor, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't matter anymore, right? And it's the same with like, you know, you could be taking like a thyroid hormone, right? Obviously again, like you don't have to worry about your thyroid, the changes with that. It also probably, again, it does increase your metabolic rate. So now you obviously have like, what's, if you're increase your metabolic rate by even like, we'll say 250 calories per day, it's like, when we multiply that by 2.2, it's like, oh, we actually get more, you know, it's like, it's a fundamental thing. It's like you, you multiply a number and the number is bigger. 
you have more, you know, <laughs> like, uh, so that kind of stuff, it's like, it, it is important to understand. And like, you might be thinking, oh, well, I never use drugs. I don't want to use drugs. And like, that's not what I want to do. That's, that's cool. But most people out there are using stimulants. And that is also getting around this to some extent, you know, like taking a stimulant, like even caffeine. And like, obviously, the, the health and fitness industry is obsessed with caffeine, like they chug about fucking 500 milligrams before breakfast uh, every single day, you know, it's like, all of that stuff is impacting on your basal metabolic rate, but also, you know, reducing the the effects of some of these things. The caffeine is like a dieter's friend because it reduces the 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 drop off you might see in like oh I feel less active or I feel whatever. Like you have your afternoon coffee and all of a sudden you're fucking chirpy again. You're like all right I'm gonna go burn off more calories blah blah blah. So it's like that kind of stuff is important to know. But obviously look there's a limit to that stuff right because you're not able to sustain that forever or you start getting less effect from that right because you I, I hate to use this term because everyone fucking uses it but like you've basically burned out your adrenals not that they can technically be burned out but you know what i mean it's like <clears throat> you're getting less of a response from this you know you're getting less of a uh, effectively a stress response from this because it is habitual so as a result you're like oh i need to up my dose and then you're on fucking uh, a gram of caffeine per day and that's just caffeine like obviously there's much more powerful stimulants which we've talked about before but obviously you know like, that's not necessarily the case for you know, or we wouldn't recommend that for everyone, but like there are people out there that are using like, you know, clan again, thyroid, even to an extent, like they're using different drugs to get an effect, to overcome uh, the, the natural adaptations that your body goes through. Right. And obviously that has an effect on BMR. And as a result, it has an effect on this kind of constrained energy model. Right. And then the final thing to realize with a lot of these athletes is that they're just bigger than you because they're on these drugs or just because they have better genetics. Like if you're a hundred kilo athlete versus uh 70 kilo athlete it's like the 100 kilo athlete is going to be able to burn through more calories just by virtue of weighing more right so that has to be taken into account and most times it's not especially when we consider like most people we're talking to they're not athletes they're just recreational exercisers so they think oh this person is 70 kilos i'm 70 kilos and they don't factor in the fact that this person is 70 kilos at six percent body fat and you're 70 kilos at 20 percent body fat so the as we've discussed previously lean mass is one of the bigger predictors of that overall metabolic rate rather than fat mass because it's less metabolically active tissue right so do you have anything else to say on, we'll call this the, the G flux and constrained energy model interaction? Like how can people use this? What's your final kind of wrap up thoughts? Um, I suppose my final wrap up thoughts would be that exercising more, almost always a good idea. I don't think most people listening to this have to worry about um you know, diminishing returns from exercising more. Like, I, I don't think that's a much of a problem for many people, but it's more so for those people who are setting their step goal for like 40,000 steps per day and stuff, you know, like those types of things. Um, like there comes a point where it's probably not going to benefit you too much more, uh, especially like if you're running like hours per day just to burn calories, like again, probably not the wisest idea. There will come a point where your energy expenditure in other areas will begin to compensate to some degree. Again, that's going to vary so much between people. With a lot of this stuff, we're kind of at the edge of like what's really known. Like for example, it's not clear like for an ultra endurance athlete, like can you actually put your kidneys, uh, you know, under too much work from processing all this energy you don't really know because like this is so rare that people burn this much energy so you don't know what the limit of like all right 
kidney processing and uh, liver processing like wh where is it, which is the organ that's going to kind of give first um and 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 that's there there when you read the research there are some of the things that authors will say they're like we're not really sure you know that's why that paper on the gut uh, two years ago or last year was so interesting because you know these things are really difficult to study because they're extreme examples but most people aren't in that extreme camp most people are in a, a camp where they work a job, uh, let's say nine to five or similar. So they're probably not very active during that time. And they're trying to either lose fat, um, you know, stay lean, maintain a healthy physique, whatever. They're trying to do that within the constraints of exercising maybe one to two times per day. With those constraints in place, I don't think people have to worry too much about not benefiting from um, exercising more. I think you absolutely will, particularly if you're building a program that's aimed at better performance, um, even if it doesn't lead to a perfectly linear increase in energy expenditure. I wouldn't say that matters all that much um, because ultimately most of our recommendations with regards to exercise generally tend to be for aims other than just burning more calories anyway. So it's sort of redundant. But in general, what I would say is that when you think about calories in, calories out, and all the things we've discussed in the podcast leading up to this, we're adding on that additional layer now of the calorie deficit component, but also the calorie deficit put in the context of energy flux. And generally, if you can get up to a higher energy flux, that seems to be superior, particularly for weight loss maintenance, but also very obviously for any increases in fitness or health benefits that come from exercising more in the first place. And also just purely the psychological stuff. Like I like food, you like food. Most oh, man, absolutely. Like food. Yeah. You know, something actually feel really bad for people who have to diet on like 1200 calories and stay there consistently. Like, to be fair, I, I have clients who like, they just have really low maintenance calories and like, let's say it's less than 1500. And the thing is, when your appet their their appetite and their energy levels and enthusiasm and motivation, etc., it all correlates perfectly with that level. So, from the physiological perspective, it's not really a problem. Like it doesn't matter if your energy, if your calories are lower, if you're just not dealing with those things. But you can't really escape the psychosocial aspects of that, unfortunately, uh, particularly in the modern environment where if you go out to eat, if you're getting something for less than a thousand calories, like you're almost having to be specific about asking for it. Um, and that that's just the reality, you know, and, and even with like Irish cooking, let's say like Irish mammies are notorious for massive portions and standard Irish meals are, you know, we eat a lot of uh, red meat, uh, lots of potatoes, just generally like milk or cream or butter, maybe in the potatoes. Um, so those like even the, the way that our meals are set up culturally, typically relatively calorie dense too. And, and I'm here for, I'm absolutely here for it, but <laughs> uh, sincere apologies to my uh, friends on a thousand calories a day. Yeah. Like just from a, a personal anecdote, I'm like, look, I used to be able to, as I said, eat 5,000 calories and maintain my weight. Right. And again, I'm, I'm roughly 100 kilos as Gary said, or you're on, you know? So I'm like that for me, I was like, look, I could literally do whatever the fuck I want. And now sometimes again, with work, with whatever, it is tough to get that many calories into you. And you do notice some like digestive issues, not necessarily like major issues, but maybe sometimes like, I don't know, you look in the toilet, you're like, oh, there's some undigested food. You know, it's like, that's, that's interesting. Right. And um, especially if you're trying to like, you know, cram a lot of calories in, in a short period of time. Right. But since I'm way less active now, especially because jujitsu is only on and off because we're allowed to do it outdoors. And um, 
like my maintenance calories right now is like it hovers between 2,500 and 2,750, like somewhere in that range, depending on how active I am throughout the day. Because as I said, like I'm sitting at this desk for like 80 hours a week, you know? Um, so my activity levels are so much lower. And just from that perspective, or like there's a basically a 2,500 calorie difference between those. Like, first of all, like Harry said, like my enthusiasm for food or whatever, it is changed because I'm like, look, I eat 2,500 calories and I'm like, yeah, I'm quite full. Like I'm, I'm good to go on that. Like, I don't, I don't want more, you know, like, well, I, I psychologically, I'm like, look, I fucking love more. You know, I'd always want to be like, Oh, I want to have, you know, this tasty food or whatever. Like that's, that's universal. Right. But I'm quite satisfied on 2,500, you know? So I'm like, there's, there's no need. Like, I don't feel like I need to have more or missing out. However, like trying to, you know, as Gary said, like go out for a meal or whatever, like you have to overcome all those issues. And as I was saying earlier on, like when we deal with clients that are like that, that have come from like a, uh, a fitness background, a sporting background, like they have a, a hard time. Like that's why they, most of them come to us in terms of they're trying to realign their intake with their current activity levels. And it's just hard. And that is an unfortunate uh, consequence, especially if you haven't built up good eating habits in the past and you just are coming to this going like, I used to be able to get away with 5,000 calories. Now I'm able to get away with 2000 calories. What the fuck do I do? Because I used to be able to eat crap all day. I have no good health habits. I have no good nutrition habits. I have no good, like whatever, where are you at then? You know? So again, we're big advocates of yes, exercise as much as you possibly can for your situation within enjoyment levels, within lifestyle levels, whatever within recovery levels, obviously as well, but you need to eat first of all, to sustain that. But most importantly, you need to develop healthy eating habits overall, regardless of your calorie level. Like you need to know what lean proteins are. You need to know what fruit and veg are good for you. You know, it's like, you need to know this stuff. You need to know how to structure your day if you actually want to get good results. And that's independent of what calories you're on. Anyway, I have nothing else to add. Do you, Gary? Um, no, I think that's, uh, that's everything for today. Fantastic. Where can people find us? And what do we do? Yeah, most important thing, guys. Today is, the, is Sunday, the 23rd of May. You're listening to this on the 24th of May. The gym's open in Ireland on the 7th of June, I believe. So we're roughly two weeks away from gym's reopening. If you are interested in coaching, then I would recommend you get in touch now uh, so that we can book in a call with you to discuss that process. Make sure you're a good fit for us and we're a good fit for you and that we can help you as the gym's reopen. Okay, so if you do want to secure space, uh, do get in touch. We will be closing our coaching spaces shortly after the reopening of the gyms. So it's in your interest and ours to try to get involved ASAP. And of course, we would love to work with you, particularly if you're someone who's been listening to the podcast for a while, because we like having interested, interested clients and interesting clients, of course. Um, along with that, guys, we do put out a lot of content on social media, so it would be wise to follow us all. So Triage Method, we have a page on Instagram. We also have our own pages, Skinny Gaz. The real Paddy Farrell and Brian O'Hangisa. Uh, so that's the three of us. So follow us all. Um, it would be of benefit to you. We'd also recommend uh, subscribing to the Triage Method newsletter. I will admit I have been slacking on the newsletter over the last two weeks, but I will absolutely have a great newsletter for you guys this week. So uh, if you haven't subscribed, please do, because otherwise you will be missing out. Uh, there's extra content that goes into the newsletter that doesn't go anywhere else. It doesn't go on our social media. It doesn't go in our Facebook groups. It's just for the newsletter. So it's useful to, to get involved there. You could do it. We do also have a Facebook group, the Triage Method Community, that you can join, ask questions. If you want to send in your training clips for us to have a look at or something, you know, we're cool with that. No problem. 
And if you'd like to get in touch with us to ask questions for the podcast, there's a uh, form below that you can submit. You can also just email us or drop any of us a DM. It's no problem. Um, and yeah, we're always uh, welcome to people sharing this around on social media. If you enjoy the podcast, you know, give it a share on your story or whatever platform you use. And if the podcast platform you use happens to have ratings and reviews, go ahead and leave one. And of course, subscribe. Fantastic. Anyway, we will see you all next week, guys. Peace out.